Liberal MP from Beaches East York, Nate Erskine-Smith, our guest. We talk about an element of getting a deal done with the province and its education workers, the Green Belt, why this is so significant for anybody who lives in Ontario. And Pierre Polyev made a video in Vancouver about homelessness and drug addiction. And I wanted to get into that with Nate because he commented about it as well over the weekend um, and whether or not the Polyev concerns are heartfelt or whether or not there's a little bit of cynicism to that. That's on the show on Toronto Today, and you can have a listen to it right now. You don't mind dipping your uh, your toes, sometimes the whole uh, the whole lower body into uh, provincial politics once in a while. What were your <laughs> observations of uh, of a settlement between QP and the provincial government? Well, when we spoke two weeks ago, we both said, surely there's a way for a deal to get done. And Ford's got to move away from the use of the, youth of the notwithstanding clause. He's got to back down and get back to the table. And enough pressure was brought to bear. The power of organized labor was brought to bear. And back down there's a deal on the table it's going to go to members and i'm i'm hopeful and confident that we're going to stay in school it's such a sticky subject the idea of essential workers um and we've had enough people in the in the healthcare community as you can imagine i know you have tons of your conversations as well and they you know not, not that they're envious they support qp if they're if they're unionized but they also look and they and they say they can do things that we can't. We don't hold a hammer to withdraw services. We don't have a lot of leverage. Nurses, anybody working in a hospital will say that, Nate. Anybody working fire police are deemed essential services. Do you think the province needs to frame that at some point in time and at least have that conversation about whether... I know many teachers that would say that would be a relief for us. We'll, we'll take our chances with binding arbitration, but we don't get painted as the bad guys over labor disputes. It's an interesting question because it also makes one grapple with the question of are we doing enough on the side of compensating those who are deemed essential workers and if we're and if you're going to deem anyone an essential worker you, you damn well better make sure they're receiving all the protections that they can receive and in the case of nurses we have a labor shortage in this province and and, and a healthcare crisis as a result of, of a later labor shortage and we've capped the increase in in nurses' wages. So, you know, if, if nurses were to receive the same salary increase, for example, that the QB workers are likely to receive, we wouldn't be seeing the same labor shortage that we're seeing. And and the government can't figure that out. And I'm sure you've noticed anecdotally, I, I have in my own life, two two people I know, uh, a couple, uh, male-female couple have gone to Michigan to go work at Henry Ford Hospital as they're both nurses. And They'll tell you their lives are better. They're, they have more free time. They're getting paid more. Their working conditions are better. They've got the supplies. That's something we couldn't necessarily say for education workers because um, we do pay our teachers and support staff better than than anywhere in the United States. But nurses do have that. They don't have the option to strike, but they sure have the option to to move out of our province. And we don't want to lose these good people over and over again. Well, and it's, it's not overly complicated here, Greg. It's mm-hmm. about pay on the one hand, but it's also about the working conditions, the incredibly stressful working conditions, of course, the last the last number of years, uh, but the support they receive and ensuring that there are enough nurses in the system and, and nurse practitioners in the system to make sure that people aren't burned out and overloaded. And if we don't grapple with the these real difficult questions, <laughs> and not even really di- that difficult when you think about it, in terms of what needs to be provided, the nurses are telling us what needs to be provided. But if we don't, difficult, if we don't grapple with these questions, we're not going to solve the problem, and our healthcare system is going to be strained and continue to be strained. 
Yeah, it, and and it's uh, it's in bad shape right now, and, and it needs a lot of uh, of rethinking. Nathaniel Erskine Smith, our guest, uh, MP from Beaches, MPP for, uh, MP, excuse me, from Beaches, East York. Let me give you a question about uh, the green belt because I know you've tweeted about it, and it means a lot to a lot of people. I'm worried I haven't done enough of it um, on a on a daily basis in the morning, but it's um it's an incredibly important question about to do to develop on the green belt or not to develop on the green belt, and I think people are really going to dig in on this issue. What's your thought on it? I hope they dig in. I hope we see the same concerted outrage that we saw around the use of the notwithstanding clause uh, on this issue as well, because this isn't only a question of developing the green belt. If, if Doug Ford had walked into the 2018 election and the election this past June to say, here's my plan, we have a housing crisis and obviously there's many places we can build housing, but we're also going to build housing on the green belt, voters would have had a choice. Instead, what he's done is he promised outright not to touch the green belt and a matter of months after an election he's done an about face and in a, in a really cynical transactional way because you've got developers that have made purchases in at a, on a timeline that is pretty questionable uh, who are now going to reap an incredible profit and lots of questions there and i hope there's incredible amount of scrutiny to get to the bottom of that it's amazing too. Yeah, you you mentioned that there's there's just there's there's too much linkage. There's 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 provable connections between the Ontario Conservative Party and some of the landowners who are um, who are going to benefit the most. And it's not like there was some massive announcement, public sale of the green belt. The the you know the the buy and sell happened almost um, behind closed doors and in a bit of a surreptitious fashion. Many people feel. Well, and and no one's going to blame. A developer for wanting to go make money through land development, mm-hmm. but surely we can blame the government for failing to one abide by its promise to not touch the green belt. There, are, there are clips of Doug Ford outright saying, "I will never ever do this," and then here he is doing this. There's zero honesty in in their politics. And on the flip side, if they're going to do it, to do it in an open, competitive manner, and and that's the least we should expect. Nathaniel Erskine-Smith, our guest. I know you, uh, Pierre Polyev, uh, opposition leader, made a video yesterday, put it out. Um, it's a slick video, his, his usually are, in Vancouver, talking about um, the homeless population, but also talking about uh, illegal drugs as being a factor. Now, it's really difficult to de-link uh, those two things sometimes, but you reacted to the video because you've been an, a, a strong advocate of not criminalizing drug use. We have had generations of policy failure through the war on drugs. It is an abject failure, and <clears throat> Greg, it actually kills people ultimately, where we, we have the lethal drug supply that we do today. We don't have a lethal drug supply of alcohol. We don't have a lethal drug supply of cannabis. We do have a lethal drug supply of illicit drugs because they are completely and totally unregulated. And prohibition ultimately kills people, and the war on drugs ultimately kills people. And here we have a conservative leader who, unfortunately, unlike... Aaron O'Toole, who was moving away from that approach, was following the lead of the police chiefs and saying, let's treat this as a health issue. Let's save lives. Let's let's have our predominant focus on saving lives, not cracking down on some ill-informed, tough-on-crime approach. And now you have the new conservative leader who's going back to the Harper days, going back to, if you look on the American side of the border, the, the Reagan and, and Nixon days, and saying... Let's use border enforcement as our primary tool, and and let's really stigmatize people who are ultimately struggling for all sorts of reasons, poverty-related reasons, mental health-related reasons, 
And, and instead of let's get them the help they need via housing, let's get them the help they need through mental health supports, looking at it from a police perspective. Yeah, the war on drugs was uh, was a loser, uh, really, from day one. I, th- I think had the Internet been around, had more, you know, more, more lenses been put on it because we were just waiting. It's almost putting something in the oven and waiting for it to bake properly. And and it never truly did. Is there a line? Is there a line when it comes to homelessness um, to to finding that sort of that middle ground where we do have to treat serious mental illness and we do have to treat addiction? And I don't know how we do it. I, I don't know how we how we find a way to to say, uh, you know, we need universal psychiatric care, drug treatment on demand. We need all that stuff. But how do we do it and make sure people can can curb their addictions? And, and almost housing would almost be a reward for doing that. Is there a, is there a method we can do this? Well, it's funny because there's the instinctive response that people want to have to say, well, let's just force them to get the help that they need. And intuitively, I actually had this response and I had a bill before Parliament that would have looked at one, decriminalizing drugs, but really looking at moving towards mandatory treatment. And I was going back and forth with experts in this space considering you know, is the Portugal model the successful mm-hmm. one? Is there another model we can look to that would say, we're not going to put you in prison, but we're going to, there's some coercive element here to, to get you in front of a, a tribunal of healthcare workers and, and a tribunal to make sure you get, you're forced to get the help you need. And the overwhelming evidence-based response I got was to say, do you want to be successful or do you want to be political? And if you want to be successful, then the answer is sure people get the help they need and they will be more likely to seek treatment if they get the help they need not if you're pointing a gun to their head and and so i think we've ultimately got to follow the evidence to save lives and so the bill i ultimately introduced was was not mandatory in that way and Mm. in the end what are the challenges we need to address at scale Mm. questions of housing questions of of healthcare mental health support the on-demand treatment you mentioned look the 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 greatest Mm. criticism that should be leveled against this federal liberal government is not the direction of the approach is the significance that we wrap around that approach in terms of funding and support because we we are, we have a we have the right approach it's just massively underfunded yeah yeah we need uh we need money and it's it's not just a chicken and egg thing nate uh love our conversations thanks so much for this and have a great week we'll talk soon yeah and thanks greg nathaniel erskine smith uh, mp for beaches east york our guest